As I said earlier, this is the fourth Sunday of our sermon series called Daring Greatly, where we are exploring different stories in the book of Acts, and we're seeing how these early apostles were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be bold and courageous. And we are asking ourselves, how how might we also be bold and courageous in every aspect of our lives? We began by looking at Jesus's ascension into heaven and we, let, we had the acknowledgement that his leaving meant that it was time for his disciples to step up and carry on his mission. Yet in his absence, he promised them the gift of the Holy Spirit that fell on them at Pentecost. This spirit by way of wind and fire gave them new power and new ability to be witnesses in their community beyond their community, and all the way to the ends of the earth. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 4, at this encounter between Peter and John and the Sanhedrin. They were troubled because Peter and John had healed a man who could not walk from birth. Somehow, they had this same healing power as Jesus. And the ruling authorities tried to hush their message. But Peter and John faithfully and defiantly stood up to them and said, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you or to God, you can judge. But us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And so we too are trying to notice what we have seen and heard God do and make sure that others see and hear our bold, prophet-like Jesus witness. Today, we continue with another encounter that involved Peter, this time with a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Now, we see a lot of this story in chapter 10, but here in chapter 11, Peter is standing in front of a group, a group of men, circumcised men to be exact, who do not understand why Peter ate with uncircumcised men, with Gentiles. So to retell this story in a very short way, Cornelius was a devout God follower who received a vision to invite Peter to his home. The very next day, Peter also received a vision that he recounts mostly here in chapter 11. He says, I was on the roof praying. I was hungry and I was waiting for the meal to be prepared. And all of a sudden in this vision, this sheet came down from heaven. And on this sheet, all kinds of four-footed animals were seen. And this voice said to me, get up, kill and eat. Now Peter was shocked because this was against his custom. He said, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. But the voice said to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. The sheet went back up into heaven. And as Peter sat there wondering, what does this mean? The men that were sent by Cornelius to go and get Peter knocked on the door. So here in verse 12, Peter talking to this group of Jewish followers said, the spirit told me in that moment to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. He said, I arrived at Cornelius' house. He told me all about his vision. He's in the vision, it said that I would come with a message to save the entire household. 
And so when I, Peter, began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it did on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says to the crowd, if God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in Jesus, who was I to hinder God? When the men heard this, they were silenced and they praised God and said, God has given even to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. The first thing that I noticed from this text that has huge import for our lives is that Peter had an experience that changed his theological viewpoint. Like I said, according to his Jewish custom and law, he was not to eat anything impure or unclean. He was not even supposed to associate with or visit a Gentile. But here he tells us, the Spirit told me to go with them and make no distinction. In chapter 10, it says, God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Many of you know that in our United Methodist tradition, experience is a source or a norm by which we make theological claims. We have this methodology called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Now, this was later um, recognized and developed by a 20th century American Methodist theologian named Albert Outler. He looked at John's Wesley, John Wesley's way of doing theology, and he came up with this quadrilateral. It says, that scripture, tradition, reason, and experience all work in tandem to help us understand who God is and how we should live as God's people. Another way I've heard this explained is that we take tradition and reason and experience to scripture because it is primary in our lives and we seek to interpret what that scripture means. Now, it's really important in this, these factors to understand that tradition means that the theological task doesn't start over with every new group of Christians. Christianity doesn't leap from the apostolic times to the present without learning anything in the middle. But it's also important to understand that tradition is living. It is fluid. That the tradition of the Bible does not mean that everything is chiseled in stone and that nothing ever changes. In fact, what our text really reveals today is that the Jewish tradition, the apostolic tradition, is to take experience back to the text and allow our minds to be challenged and changed. Now, if you remember, we've seen this in our church and other places in the New Testament. In the book of Matthew, we looked at in Advent, uh, the story of Mary and Joseph. Joseph's customs and his laws told him to turn Mary over to be scorned and ridiculed. But Joseph refused because of his experience with Mary. And then God called him a righteous and devout man. Now, I think this is important for us because we tend to talk about our beliefs as immovable. We approach our faith with so much certainty instead of uncertainty. It's as if we are holding our fists tightly shut instead of opening our palms ready to receive. And in many ways, I think it's because we've been taught to understand tradition and scripture in that way. When I was in divinity school at Vanderbilt, 
there was something I learned about that I call the faith pyramid. You didn't know we'd be working with so many shapes today, okay? Now, the faith pyramid at the base are these beliefs that we were taught through childhood and early adolescence. And as we grow older, we start to stack new beliefs and new discoveries on top of these foundational blocks. And so we get really nervous when someone comes along with a sledgehammer and starts knocking at this foundation. And so for some of us to say that scripture needs to be revisited with our experience, to say that some parts are time sensitive and some parts are timeless, to say that some parts are not black and white, cut and dry, it feels like someone is taking a hammer to those bottom blocks, that someone is questioning the very core of who we have built ourselves up to be. But here we see another way. Our faith takes a different shape, and it is an approach that I don't think we talk about enough in the church. Not only does Peter use his experience to reinterpret his beliefs. He uses scripture to understand his experience. He says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as it did us, and I remembered the word of the Lord, that John would baptize with water, but that we would all be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so we too must not only be open to, but expect that the Holy Spirit will change our minds and convict us with new beliefs. We should expect that the Holy Spirit may open our eyes to what God intended and Jesus taught us all along, that no one and nothing is impure or unclean, that there is no distinction between them and us as much as we Christians try to exclude or leave people out. To put it another way, the tradition of our scripture does not show that we are to be staunch and set in our ways. Our United Methodist tradition alone has taught us. We have taken the experience of enslaved people back to the text and realized we were very wrong. We have taken the experience of women back to the text and realized that we were very wrong. The tradition of our scripture shows us that we must be willing to let the Holy Spirit knock down everything we thought we knew. Otherwise, what purpose is there in calling the Word of God the living Word that falls afresh on us each day? What purpose is there in continuing to study the Bible or take new life experiences or intelligence or reason back to the text? What purpose is a Christian journey if we are never molded changed, transformed, or sanctified like Jesus as his disciples. Peter says, the same spirit that fell on us fell on them. Who was I to hinder God? And so my question is, will we have the courage it takes to unlearn and relearn with an open and flexible mind? Or will our lack of openness, will our, will our tightly closed fist hinder God from doing God's work. The second thing I noticed that has significant import for our lives is that Peter becomes an advocate for the excluded group, and he does this by retelling his own experience. Remember these apostles and the, these believers in Judea wanted to know, why have you done this, Peter? Why are you mixing with people that we are not supposed to mix with? 
As the one who encountered the Spirit in an unexpected way, Peter had to boldly and courageously share his witness and his testimony, not knowing how his friends would receive him. And so those of us who have had these Spirit-led experiences that show us that our previous partiality was wrong must also be willing to boldly stand up and be advocates for excluded groups. And I believe that Peter, in this moment, recognized he had status, he had sway, he had the power of his witness, and his voice carried weight in that group. And so there are places and forums where you have status, where you have sway, where there is power and weight behind your voice. On behalf of whom is God calling you to be bold, and courageous. Finally, this phrase, them and us, it's so hugely important, especially in our lives right now. We often operate out of binaries, even when we know that there is gray, there is color in the world. We often want to pin down one another with labels, as we heard God, uh, God John say in his prayer. We often carry these preconceived notions and it feels like the biggest in our culture is very political and theologically charged. You're a liberal or you're a conservative. And when I decide where you fall, then I know everything about you. We do resort to these easily. And I think part of this is early on in life, we learn to categorize ourselves. We look at a three-year-old who runs around on a playground and we say, he's gonna be an athlete. As we get older, we describe ourselves in categories. I'm a right brain person or a left brain person. I'm an accountant or I'm an artist. I'm a singer or I'm a non-singer. But the truth is, each one of us holds within us a spectrum of identities. Boxes and categories do not encompass who we truly are. And behind each identity, are narratives that inform our beliefs and our opinions. I heard someone say once that for every opinion, there is a story. And so we are not any better than our culture if we operate as if we know everything about one another without ever hearing one another's stories. I think then that this text is largely a challenge to each of us if we are willing to confess it to admit it, we all cast people in categories. We all fail to hear one another's stories. We all operate out of us and them distinctions because we feel safe in our like-minded tribes. But God calls us to live another way. This last Thursday night, I was getting my almost three-year-old son, Lewis, ready for bed. Now in our house, one person kind of is in charge of the bath and the other one puts on his pajamas and reads his books and kind of falls into any other toddler antics that happen. I'm telling you for the last eight months, my child has asked for a small piece of cheese before bed every night. <laughs> so we sat down in the green rocker in his room after he had his cheese and he got up to go pick up a book off of his shelf. Now these days it's between the lion and the bird, Goodnight Gorilla, or Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? 
So he picked out Brown Bear and he came over to the chair and he sat in my lap and he likes to read the titles and the authors now. So he read the title and he said, by Bill Martin Jr. and Eric Kyle. <laughs> Many of you know this book, but basically the brown bear sees the red bird and the red bird sees the yellow duck. And later in the book, the goldfish sees the teacher and the teacher sees the children. Now that night, Lewis turned to the page with the children and he pointed to each one, one with blonde hair and pink skin, one with blue hair and brown skin, one with light brown skin and black hair, one with tan skin and brown hair. And he looked at me and he said, look at all the people. And it occurred to me in that moment that we need to recover seeing one another as people not erasing our individual distinctions or ethnicities or differences because those things make us beautiful and tell the story of who we are, but remembering at our sacred core, we are all human beings in need of love and belonging and connection. Could it be the work of the church to rehumanize our society? Know them, know us just people by the power of the Holy Spirit still alive and at work in us. Amen.